step into the pulpit, about to do something kind of foolish, I think, um, that maybe my labor won't be in vain and God will be with us. Uh, let's, uh, I, I want to pray, I want to pray too, uh, Paul, Paul doesn't get all the fun this morning, so let, let, me, uh, let me pray as we get started here. God, we thank you that you go with us that you are on our side, that you don't leave us to our own devices, that you actually walk with us. And uh, I, I need that. I think we need that. As we're about to do this new thing in Leviticus, uh, I, think, uh, I think we need your guidance. I think we need your comforting presence. We need your wisdom. So I pray that you would grant that to all of us, and I need it especially. Amen. So, joking around, uh, but yes, we're starting, a, we're starting a brand new thing this morning. Actually, kind of a, a couple brand new things. So uh, we're not really jumping into Leviticus too much this morning, because I think we need to lay some groundwork before we get too far in. Uh, I think I need to kind of set the stage of, of what we're doing, uh, cover a, a few things so that we're kind of on the same page going into this, this endeavor. Uh, so first, uh, yes, the rumor is true. I am starting a new sermon series on the book of Leviticus, and we're going to be in it for a while, which those sentences have never been uttered in the course of human history uh, by, any, by any preacher ever. So I'm the, I'm the first one to ever uh, say those words. So, uh, yeah. Now, you might be thinking, why? Which is a fantastic question. If you're thinking that, Awesome. Fantastic question. I've been asking myself the same thing uh, about a hundred times over the last uh, few months as I've been kind of gearing up for this. Maybe it's not too late to back out of this project. Uh, maybe, maybe I should. And I'm kind of serious about that because I- I'm, I'm pretty nervous about this project. Admittedly, I know almost nothing about Leviticus. Like almost nothing, at least before uh, a few weeks ago. And, and up until some recent research, Honestly, I think I could say I didn't really care about that, that I didn't really know anything about Leviticus. I'm, I'm not sure, I wasn't losing any sleep over that fact, that I knew almost nothing about this book of the Bible. It, it is, it's a weird book. It's, it's really odd. I mean, no one reads it, except Pat. She's the one. Uh, I've, been heard, I've been hearing about that, that one person that's read Leviticus, and she actually goes to our church. Uh, but no one, no one reads this. Everyone goes, oh yeah, Genesis, awesome. Uh, Exodus, great story. Leviticus, let's jump over and go on to Judges or something. Uh, we, just, we don't read this book. It's not something that we turn to. No one preaches it. Uh, anyone ever heard a sermon series on the book of Leviticus? All right. I kind of figured we'd have a couple hands raised, but maybe not more than that, right? I mean, it's just not, this isn't something, I've, I've never heard a sermon series on Leviticus, never had a preacher uh, in my life preach on it. The, the content is weird. I mean, you get, 
You get five verses in. Five verses, and already an animal is being slaughtered and its blood being splashed on the, sla- on the side of the altar. I mean, we're fi- warm us up a little bit, folks. Like, like, we're only five verses in. I mean, I'm no author, but it seems like this is no way to begin a book if you actually want people to keep reading to the end. I mean, uh, imagine a tale of two cities beginning like Leviticus. It, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, and then we slaughtered a young bull and splashed its blood on the side of the altar. I mean, it probably wouldn't be a classic today, right? I mean, this is maybe not the way you want to start out a book if you want people to finish a book. I mean, Leviticus spares no gory detail, and there's no topic off limits to this book. So it's going to be a little strange for us to unpack. It's going to be a daunting challenge and maybe even a little embarrassing at times. Like there are, there are kind of taboo topics. Uh, one, uh, one commentator that I'll be referring to a, a bunch throughout this series, his name is uh, Samuel Ballantyne. He, he says this, and it'll be up on the screen. How does one explain and apply a book that devotes seven chapters to the bewildering, if not seemingly bizarre, requirements of ancient Israel's sacrificial system and five chapters to details of ritual impurity, including such indelicate matters as menstrual blood and semen. I mean, my thoughts exactly. Like, what, what, do, you do, with, what do you do with this book? Like, it's so weird, and it covers things that we don't, we don't want to talk about. Uh, it, it, it goes to places that we don't want to go. And, and it seems so archaic and so barbaric in the process. And most certainly outdated and irrelevant, right? Leviticus. If you're going to say anything about it, probably irrelevant. Like, maybe, in, maybe interesting. Maybe you'd say it's interesting or it's historical. But probably... Yeah, that's, that's pretty irrelevant. That's kind of the way I thought about it. I mean, all the animal slaughter and the priestly rules and the abominations, I mean, what can this possibly have to do with us today? Uh, what, how can this possibly be important or helpful? I mean, what's the point? If you're thinking these same questions, good, me too. I'm thinking these same things too. Uh, and I think it's actually good for us to be thinking those questions as we read, because I think it'll make us read differently. Uh, I think it'll change the way that we come into this book. But here's the point. Uh, here's, here's, here's the why. Here's why I want to do, uh, I, I want to preach this sermon series. And, and the point, the why, has almost nothing to do with the actual book of Leviticus. My goal in all of this, by the end of all these sermons, is for us as a church to have created a rule of life for ourselves. By the end of this, I want us to have created a rule of life for ourselves. That's the ultimate goal. And Leviticus is just a tool to get us there. All right, so second, second thing I need to discuss. What's a rule of life? Right? Maybe, maybe some of you are thinking that. What, what's he, what are you talking about? What's a rule of life? So first, at least in how I want us to move forward, a rule of life 
isn't about rules. I'm not asking us to create a rule book for ourselves. This isn't a legalistic and concretized list of do's and don'ts. These aren't commandments. These aren't shalls and shall nots. A rule of life is a structure or a framework that helps guide our lives in the way of God. We'll get to that in a second here. Uh, a, a rule of life is a structure or a framework that helps guide our lives in the way of God. The word rule, actually, uh, comes from both Latin and Greek roots uh, for the word trellis. You all know what a trellis is, correct? You can picture a, a trellis and, and what it's for. Uh, a trellis is a structure or a framework that a vine attaches itself to to help it grow upward and outward while bearing much fruit. That's what a trellis is, right? It's simply a guide. It's not the vine itself. It's simply this framework, this structure that helps the vine to grow upward and outward, bearing much fruit. And that's, that's what a rule of life is. Picture a trellis. It's a structure, a framework. It's some intentional practices that we could try to commit ourselves to uh, that will help us to grow upward with God, uh, outward in love, and to bear much fruit in the world. Uh, there's nothing binding or legalistic about a rule of life. It's simply a framework. It's simply some practices that if we keep somewhere near to them, if we use these practices, if we use this framework, this guide, as, as kind of this, this tool to help us uh, center our lives, uh, if we keep near to them, if, if we let them guide our growth process, they will result in a more Jesus-shaped life. That, that's what a rule of life is. Pete Scazzaro says this. He says a rule of life is a structure or a rhythm for our lives that enables us to pay attention to God in everything that we do. We, we want this framework, this guide that can help us. Man, if, I, if, I just, if I'm trying to kind of live in accordance with this kind of set of practices, I bet I'll start noticing God everywhere. I bet I'll start living more faithfully in everything that I do. One church I found that does a rule of life at their church, they say this, the purpose of a rule is to lay down working guidelines for the inner life and also provide a framework for the balanced ordering of work, leisure, and social relationships. It becomes for us an ex exterior framework for an interior journey. We, we simply want to provide this frame, this guide, uh, to help us work on ourselves as persons and as a, a church body. The, I would say this, the goal of discipleship, of following Jesus, at least the way I think of it, is for every aspect of our lives to be an integrated whole under the leadership and example of Christ. We want everything in our lives to be patterned around the way of Christ. And a rule of life can help us frame up a way to live a more integrated and faithful life. So, I don't know what the practices will be that we finally settle on months and months and months from now. I'm not sure. It could be things like we want to be a church that practices Sabbath. 
We want to take Sabbath really seriously as a church. We're not, we're not laying out the, the legality of how you would do that. It would simply be, we want to highly value Sabbath as a church. And each and every person, each and every family might have to figure out what that means for them, which date, maybe Saturday or Sunday, maybe Sunday doesn't work for your Sabbath. You've got to figure out the details. That's why a rule of life isn't legalistic. It's simply a framework. We, we want to practice Sabbath. Maybe, maybe we would say we want to be a church that shares our gifts generously. So we hold this up as a value that's going to frame the way that we give our time and our talent and our treasures. This is a value that we want to guide and direct our lives. Uh, maybe, maybe we would want to say that we want to embrace all work as full-time ministry. And so we're setting that out as this framework that will guide the way that we go into the other six days of our lives. Maybe we want to be a church that finds the sacred in all things. That's a value that we, I don't These are just examples of, of things that could end up on our rule of life. So over the summer, I want to assemble a team that would be interested in helping us form a rule of life as a church. So if this sounds like something that's up your alley, please, please talk with me. If, if you'd love to examine, I mean, what are, we all, what are we already doing? What are we passionate about as a church? Uh, and how could we kind of frame up this new way of living that will help us pattern our life more after Jesus? Please let me know. Now, this is, what, this is where this has to do with Leviticus. This is, what, this is where these things tie together. I think that Leviticus is a rule of life for the people of Israel as they emerge from Egypt. I think Leviticus is essentially a rule of life for a people walking out of, out of 400 years of slavery. And I think they're setting up some practices, a framework, a guide for how to live as the people of God. I mean, think about their story. They've just spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. At this point, no one, no one has any memory of freedom. Not one person that comes out of Egypt and into freedom has any memory of ever living as a free person before. They've spent their entire existence in captivity. All they've ever known is oppression. They've been forced to live under the religion and the rules of their oppressors. They haven't been allowed to be their own people and have their own identity. So now, these former slaves, they wander out into the desert, led by Moses, and they settle into the promised land, but they don't know how to live. They don't know, they don't know how to be a people. They have they have some ancient traditions that they perhaps can rely on, but for 400 years, they haven't been their own. They haven't been free. They have no uh, remembrance of how to live as the free people of God. What, what does that even look like? What do you do? How do you act? What are your social ethics? What does spirituality look like? How do we practice our faith now uh, in freedom instead of being under the thumb of Egyptian captivity. So I think that Leviticus actually serves as a framework, a guide for how to live as the free people of God. I, it's, a, it's a rule of life. I think it's a rule of life for the people of, of Israel. It may seem archaic and barbaric to us because it is. 
this is an ancient way of life that is so far different than our way of life today that, of course, it seems archaic and barbaric. This is a rule of life for a nomadic desert people in a patriarchal world 6,000-some years ago. Uh, Of course it seems strange. Of course it's a weird book. Of course it doesn't literally work for us today. Of course it seems outdated. It is. It is outdated. This, is, uh, this was a rule of life for a specific people thousands and thousands of years ago in a faraway land that is far different than the land that we know today. Uh, it, it is outdated, but it wasn't for them. It wasn't archaic and barbaric for them. It wasn't legalistic and oppressive. Leviticus was actually extremely relevant and incredibly liberating in its day. It was a helpful guide. It was a rule of life for learning to live as the free people of God. After 400 years of having no distinct identity and no way of functioning as God's people, Leviticus's wisdom and guidance would have been so refreshing and helpful. And while a literal word-for-word application of this text would neither be faithful nor helpful today, I'm already finding this ancient book to have so much wisdom for us in our time. Like in my brief study so far, uh, there's, there's already so much. And so while this seems outdated, because it is, while it seems archaic and barbaric, because it is, once you scrape off the top layer this, uh, and look a bit deeper and start kind of searching for the message behind the literal message, what's the deeper truth that the people of God uh, 6,000 years ago are trying to live into, this book is rich and can be so helpful in guiding us toward living today as the free people of God. We're in the same place. We're trying to find a a new way to be human. We're trying to find a a way to live as the people of God. We're trying to figure out what do those practices look like? What does it look to be the faithful people of God today? And I think this really ancient book can actually be helpful. Leviticus addresses every aspect of being human. It, It doesn't let us off the hook in anything. It addresses everything. From birth to death to bodily functions, from sex and sin to Sabbath, from to how to worship and how to celebrate, from judgment to justice, it, it, it deals with everything that it means to be human. So, there's certainly some contextual work that we'll have to do. We'll have to kind of figure out what this meant for them way back then and how do we faithfully translate that into something that's meaningful here today. There'll be some cultural gaps that we'll maybe need to leap, uh, knowing that we exist so far into the future. Uh, But I think that if we do so through faithfulness uh, to the text, uh, we will find some tremendous value in this ancient book. Uh, One other commentator that I'll mention often Uh, His name is Baruch Levine. Uh, He says this, 
He says, Leviticus poses a genuine challenge. Are we able to penetrate these ancient forms and actions to arrive at the dimension of their underlying meaning? We have these old actions, this old framework, these old ways of living uh, that maybe don't literally apply to us today uh, in exactly the same way uh, but can we kind of penetrate through kind of the form, the, the first top layer, to find what their underlying meaning was? And then he continues, are we limited to statements about how religious devotion was expressed? Like, is that all that we can accomplish in this book? Is, we're, this is just a history book to find out how people a long time ago lived their life. Like, is that all we're stuck to? Or can we say something as well about why it was expressed in prescribed ways? And that's going to be the hard work of this book. Can we take the next step? Can we see the thing beyond the thing, the meaning behind the meaning, and then resurrect this ancient and outdated text to help us live faithfully now as the free people of God? All right, that's... That's where we're heading with this series. Uh, I, I want us to dive into Leviticus, mining it for the ways in which this ancient rule of life can be helpful for us today in creating a framework, a structure, some practices that can help us live faithfully as the free people of God. Sound like a plan? That's, that's where I want to head. Now, A few other things that I think uh, need to be pointed out or or that I need to share with you here at the outset that will help lay some groundwork for this series. All right, first, uh, the book, like most books, has kind of a basic structure to it. Uh, So as far as this structure of Leviticus, it's got two major sections. Uh, the first section is chapters 1 through 16, and then it finishes with uh, 17 through 27. Chapters 1 through 16 are essentially how do you live in right standing with God? Like, it, it's mostly about worship and kind of our direct connection with our Creator. Chapters 1 through 7 are the fun ones about sacrifice. All all the sacrificing of the animals, all the blood. This is what you do with, with animals of the herd, and this is what you do with animals of the flock, and this is what you do with birds. It's all the fun. That's the fun stuff, right? One through seven is sacrifices. Chapters eight through ten, then, uh, is, is a lot of it's kind of directed at me. It's about priests, but, but it's about leadership. What do we do as leaders? And as Baptists, we claim to be a priesthood of all believers, right? We are all pastors. We're all pastoring each other. So what does this look like? Uh, how do we lead well? What, what does that mean for us to be in leadership? Uh, chapters 11 through 15 are instructions and rituals for ceremonial cleansing. I assume you guys have that down pat already, that you've already done all that before you came to worship this morning, so maybe we'll just skip over uh, that part. Uh, And then chapter 16 is about the Day of Atonement, what Jews called Yom Kippur, uh, the the day of kind of making things right. Uh, So it's, it's ultimately a chapter about purification, 
about our lives being in sync with the, the way that God created the world to be. So that's the first section. How do we live in right standing with God? How do we relate with God and how do we live in a way that is faithful to him? Then the, the second half gets more practical, kind of how do we live in the world. Chapter 17 through 27 is, is kind of holiness code. How do, how do we practically live our lives of faith out in the world? What, what does that look like? And so that's, I mean, we're talking about all sorts of kind of human issues, what it means to be human people trying to live as the people of God out in the world. All right, so that's kind of the basic framework. Second thing that's worth sharing. Uh, Leviticus isn't historical or theological as much as it is ritualistic. Uh, I'll say that again. When we're thinking about what is this book, like we've just come out of more of a history book. Exodus was a history book. Right? That's kind of the telling of all of these stories. Genesis was, a, a, in essence, a, it, it was a, a book of narrative. Both Genesis and Exodus are, are narrative. They're telling stories, and, and they're telling theology through these stories. Leviticus is different. Leviticus isn't so much historical or theological as it is ritualistic. Uh, Leviticus doesn't tell you what to believe, it instructs you on how to live. This is, this, uh, we're not going to tell you theology. I'm going to tell you how to live out the way of God, and I bet you'll learn about who God is in the process of living out the way of God. The rituals enact a certain theology. As, you, as we do it, as we practice our faith, we learn a certain thing, as, and, and I guess I would say as we, as we practice a certain way of faith that God is giving to us, we learn more about who the God is that is giving us this way of faith. Does that make sense? It's ritualistic in that it's an enacted kind of faith. It's an enacted kind of theology. We learn about theology through doing it. As people who were created by a ritualistic God, a, a God that designed creation with a rhythmic order, and who then are encouraged by God to live rhythmically and ritualistically, Leviticus calls back to our ritualistic, experiential, lived, uh, lived out way of being uh, that we are created for. It calls us back to that. You are created to live in this kind of ritualistic, rhythmic way where you're in sync with the God of the universe who is also ritualistic and rhythmic in the way that he has ordered the, the created world. And so we're being called back to that kind of ritualistic way of being. And, and as modern people of faith, I think we need this. We, too far, we far too often operate in more of a conceptual, theological, mental part of our faith. We, we want to think our way through our faith. And far too often we neglect the practical, experiential, missional, hands-on side of our faith. The actual doing it. The actual performance of our faith. We, uh, we have tended to operate more in, in, in the, our headspace of our faith. And so uh, 
uh, Leviticus helps us to balance that out. Yes, it's good to think theologically, and thank God we have Genesis and Exodus, but we also need to kind of think ritualistically. We need a way of life, a rule of life, that can help us to figure out how God uh, moves and operates uh, by actually doing. And so this is why I'm tying this series to the idea of a rule of life, because a rule gives us the framework for living faithfully into the rhythmic and ritualistic life that God has for us. Uh, Samuel Ballantyne says this, the ritualistic nature of Leviticus can help us move from cognitive apprehension of biblical or theological ideas to concrete execution of God's design for the world. Leviticus helps us take what we've learned about God uh, in Genesis and Exodus and finally put it into practice. It helps us kind of take that next step to, to, to make concrete execution of God's design for the world. Levitic, Leviticus can help us to ritualistically live out our faith, helping it come alive and impact every aspect of our being. Okay, one last thing before we close up. Final thing. I want to end by taking us to verse 1 of chapter 1 of Leviticus, just, uh, and really just a few words at the beginning. So that's all, that's all you get from Leviticus today is just a couple words. So Leviticus begins this way. And you can, you can read it along. Uh, I'll be in this for four seconds probably. Leviticus begins this way. The Lord called to Moses. That's how it starts. The Lord called to Moses. Uh, he's in the tent of meeting, and that's where this calling kind of happens. And, uh, and, and basically, it's then uh, the Lord is going to give all these words to Moses. But this is how it begins. The Lord called to Moses. It's the word uh, vayikra. Can you say that? Vayikra. Uh, the, the Lord called vayikra. But vayikra is literally translated as continued calling. And somehow we've gotten this We've gotten this, the Lord called, as in a past tense uh, kind, of, kind of translation. Uh, but, but the literal reading of this in Hebrew, uh, of Vayikra, is literally translated as continued calling. The Lord continued calling Moses. And there's, there's layers to that, because at the very end of Exodus, uh, God is calling to uh, Moses from the tent of meeting. And so uh, in some sense at the beginning of Leviticus, he's continuing to call. But I think God is continuing to call today. And I think what this Vayikra word points out is that God is a continual caller. Uh, he's not just calling once and for all, and this is the way this works forever. God had been in conversation with Moses. God had been calling out to his people. They had been in relationship and conversation. So Leviticus becomes the continuation of that relationship. He continued calling. He kept speaking. This is the story of God calling out to his people and guiding them along the way. But as we begin this journey in Leviticus, I think we'd be foolish then to think that God stopped calling out his people back then. 
Like, I think we, if this literally translates as the Lord continued to call to Moses, I think we'd be foolish to think like that was the last time that God called out to his people, right? He continues to call today even to us here in this sanctuary, even to us who are about to embark on, journey, uh, on reading uh, Leviticus together. Uh, I'm intending to read and study and preach the book of Leviticus with the expectation that God is still calling us today that he is still vayikraying us today. He continues to call out to us. I'm going to keep trying to keep my, I'm going to, I'm going to try to keep my ears open and my heart soft to hear his continual calling all throughout this book. And I'd invite you to do the same. I'm going to faithfully assume that if we continually listen to God's continual calling, that we might like our Israelite ancestors, find our bearings as a contemporary community of faith in these seemingly tedious and often peculiar instructions about worship and justice. God keeps calling, so let's keep listening, and and let's see if we don't learn to live as the free people of God in the process. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you've been calling for thousands of years, that you've been calling out to us since the beginning of time. We are grateful. And so we step into this text trusting, expecting that you will keep calling, that you will keep beckoning us on to live as the faithful and free people of God. We trust that you will have a word for us that you will speak to us mightily, that you will open up this text that can often be so confusing and cause us to just gloss over and write it off as being unimportant. We trust that you will keep calling and that you will speak wisdom and goodness to us, helping us to form a new way of life for ourselves. Would you guide us? Would you direct us in this process? And would you open up this ancient book to us anew? Would you resurrect us? Would you rec- uh, resurrect it uh, for us uh, today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.